Rain here. You can find the podcast Get On Board with Rain Reengineering Life on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Anchor, Breaker, and soon I hope to be adding more. You can also find information on trauma recovery and about the podcast and more information that will probably be very helpful to you at getonboard333 on Instagram. Also, my personal Instagram, which is rainfinelove, also life revealed. You can also find more information on the YouTube channel, Get On Board, and also Life Revealed. You can also find a little bit more information on Facebook. On my personal page, it's a conglomeration, and that is Nick Finelove. And you can also find references on my Life Revealed page. Can't wait for you to listen and change your life to turn in to something that is the most amazing creation you can believe and have that satisfaction and happiness that you deserve. Take care. Hey, it's Rain here. So I decided to do something a little bit different than I've done before. Usually I have someone that I'm either interviewing or like in the past, I had Rachel that I worked with and that was a lot of fun because we played off of each other and you know we just kind of got wild every once in a while and that was just a blast. But I want to get down to the core of why you would want to listen to this podcast, why you would want to listen to me. And none of the things that I'm going to tell you right now have anything to do with ego or bragging or anything along those lines. What it has to do with is I'm I'm going to give you some of the details of the past and the things I've overcome, but I want to talk about right now what I've created in my life. So in life, we look to have most people. I'm not saying everybody on the planet is like this. But most people want to have a relationship that works for them. And and we have all kinds of relationships through our life. And we work, if we're fortunate, we either work with that partner and grow or it lasts a certain time and we manage to move on in a positive way. And I'll go back to that as well. But at this, at this juncture in my life, it took me four years basically of being single from my uh, 20 year marriage. Um, and I had a 10 year marriage before that. So I'm, I'm very good with relationships and trying to work through things, make things work, build on things, etc. But I also recognize those things that are not healthy in a relationship and that will not change. And I am willing to ask myself those kinds of questions. Is this something that is going to work for me for the rest of my life? A lot of people will stay in relationships even when they're miserable just so they have a companion. And I've never been that person. 
I've been willing to get that gut punch that is so difficult when you you know you've got to change it, right? But after four years of being single and looking at everything that's out there, working on myself, really deciding what I wanted for the rest of my life, I have found a great partnership with someone who is very similar in many ways to how I am in life. Like previously, my long-term relationships, the people were not like project-oriented. I'm always do I'm always busy doing something, involved in something, building something. I'm an entrepreneur. And the other people in my life were typically uh, people that had jobs and did not understand that entrepreneurial focus. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying it's much easier to be in a relationship with somebody who understands how that kind of a mind works. That's awesome. And enjoying the things that I love to do, like motorcycle riding. And instead of me having to feel like I have to beg to go for a ride, he loves to ride so much that we'll ride at midnight if that's the only time that we have to ride. And that's awesome. And physically, we are both very healthy, even though I have to say he has a sweet tooth. I hike and walk and take care of my body. And I'm older than he is. And it's, it's funny because that's also something that I asked for. I asked for someone who could keep up with me physically. And, and really, he's magnificent physically. Um, and yes, honey, if you're hearing this, which I'm sure you will, I think you're magnificent. <laughs> Uh, you know, sexually, physically, just it's it's all on point. It all works for me. There are some things where we differ. He's much more conservative than I am, and he was raised uh, in with, you know, with a religious background where I I'm very different than that, and and so that can be that can be a little bit more difficult. But we you know we're learning how to navigate that because we've got the one thing that people need in a relationship. We have the ability to come back together and have a communi- and communicate about something. I'm one of these people who when something occurs in a relationship, I have to step step back and think about it and stand in my feelings and figure out exactly what's going on in regards to that. Then I will, it might take me a couple of days. Then I will come forth and say, you know, this is bothering me. And I've done that with him a couple of times. And, and he said, oh, honey, I I completely understand. I, you know, I'll, I'll handle that. We've had, I think, two things that got a little bit heated, but they were trigger points for me from things way in the past. Because we think we're past traumas, but we always have these things that trigger us. I don't care. There is no perfect human being on this planet. If you have no feelings, if you never react to anything, you have lost your ability to to be a human and be passionate and, and feel things. Being stoic and ignoring your feelings, that is, that's not living. 
a lot of people go through those stages. Heck, I went through the stage of, of stoicism. So let's, so let's start with that. I've got a great relationship and it fulfills those things that are extremely important to me. Now, I'm not a dependent person. I have never relied on someone else for my income and to pay my bills, etc. I'm of the mind that being dependent on someone actually depletes the relationship in so many ways because all of the responsibility for a certain area is on one person. And I, I will talk about that in later series. And it, it just doesn't, it doesn't balance out really well. And now, nowadays, men and women have the ability to create incomes. And it does not matter whether you graduated from high school or college or have a doctorate it doesn't matter if you're brilliant or, you know, you're practical or you're a little ditzy. People are very successful men and women out there. So you can take care of yourself financially. So I suggest to people that that's one of the areas that they start with if they find themselves single. Don't be looking for someone to take care of you because it can be disastrous. So anyway, I've got a great relationship. And we'll go to the thing that so many people, or go to the area that so many people want in this life, and that's things. People love to have things, right? And, and I understand that. Most people want to have a nice life. They want to come home to a nice house. They want to have a nice car. They want certain things in life to be a certain way. Well, I've got that. I have a beautiful 4,000 square foot home and I drive a Tesla. And yes, I bought that Tesla on my own. I have a Harley Davidson road glide and I have a truck. I have beautiful clothes and jewelry and, you know, doodads and I've got I've got art supplies so I can do my art. I've got writing supplies so I can write. I have a kitchen that's incredible so I can cook. I have a yard that is amazing so I can do my gardening. And I have the ability to travel back and forth to the area that I really love which is at the beach. And and I've got goals that continue to put me forward as far as tangibles. I don't need very many things anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm starting to pare things down. Like I have a whole Stephen King first edition collection and, and I, you know, it's just not that important to me anymore. So I'm going to be, you know, purging myself of that and many other things. But I do want to have my home base be someplace that has a beach. While I love my house in the mountains and I plan to keep it, um, I want to have my own place, not just some place where I stay on a regular basis at the beach, which is, is basically how it's been for, um, for 20 some odd years, me going back and forth to California, because that's where I grew up is California. So tangibles. I have 
I've really got everything that I want. I have a beautiful office that with a view. I, I really don't want for anything. I have a refrigerator full of food. I have a, you know, a full bar. I have, you know, it's just like, I've got all the things. And my things do not own me, which happens to a lot of people. I enjoy my things, but I could live in a much smaller situation that I'm in. As a matter of fact, my guy and I have been talking about uh, restoring an old van so that we can take the Harley and just go when we get to that point. I can pack into one Harley saddlebag a week's worth of what I need because I'm, you know, I'm part biker. I love motorcycling and I love my freedom. That is one thing that a lot of people don't really understand. They try to explain what they want. Like they'll say, oh, I want to have a million dollars in a bank account or $10 million or $300 million or whatever. And when I talk with them, what they really want is freedom. And what I found from people that are uber wealthy that I work with to people that are, are struggling, the thing that is consistently frustrating to them is that they feel trapped. Even with all the money that they have. So I can tell you that millions and millions of dollars will not solve that feeling of being trapped, of not being able to get away and go do what you want to do when you want to do it. And that's the other thing in my life that I've created. I have created a lifestyle with my work and all the things that I do that allows me and my relationship. It's a mature relationship. So my person, he's not going to say, oh, you can't do that. Like that would work with me anyway. But if I, if I wanted to go to California tomorrow, I would say, honey, I'm going to California tomorrow. First of all, we trust each other. So he knows that I'm not going to California to go do some crazy wild thing that, you know, he's going to find out about later. When I'm in a relationship, I am loyal, I am trustworthy, and I'm monogamous. I'm not out there, you know, trolling. And I see a lot of people do that. And that really hurts the troller. It hurts the trolley too, but... Uh, you know, people who are in relationships who are constantly um, talking with other people in a disrespectful way. And there's a difference between having friendships and talking about business or ideas or recipes or those kinds of things and being flirtatious. And people will make all kinds of excuses. Oh, I'm just looking. Oh, I have, you know... 50 pages on my Facebook or, you know, the, on my Instagram and they're all tits and ass, or they're all, you know, guys that are trying to give me attention, whatever male or female or, you know, non-binary transgender, whatever it is. Um, when you're doing that, 
what you're saying is I want freedom, but I want to have what I have. But you're never free when you're like that because it's an integrity thing. And when you do not have integrity, it actually reduces your freedom because a loving relationship that is filled with trust gives you more freedom than you will ever have in your life because you know that person is there and you can go out into the world and and you know that person has your back they are in your corner they are your person there's a lot to be said for that but some people you know they they're like oh variety is the spice of life so you know i'm looking at at trisha tits and ass and I'm chit-chatting with her, but it doesn't hurt my relationship. Bullshit, it doesn't hurt your relationship. Bullshit, it doesn't hurt your relationship. When somebody tries to chit-chat or chat me up on Facebook or, or Instagram or any of the other social media platforms, and they're like, hey, beautiful, I tell them, thank you very much for the compliment, but I'm not on here to flirt. I am here to inspire. I am here to help wake people up to to get them to understand what is what's detrimental in their life and how to expand love in a really healthy way and expand their overall life so that they find joy and happiness and and create a life of satisfaction you know and i'll get a lot of people that say oh i wasn't flirting and it's like really you know you, you don't just don't go hey beautiful or hey baby or yeah that's flirting guys that's flirting What's not flirting is, hey, I'm a musician and, you know, I was just wondering what kind of thing you do in life. And you never know. There might be something that you guys can collaborate on in the future. What's not flirting is, oh, I saw you made a really great dinner. What's the recipe for that? That's not flirting. You can probably turn it into that. But there's conversations that people have the ability to have that are just conversations and and expand your you know your friendship base on social media it doesn't all have to be about titillation and uh sexuality and you know trying to expand your freedom that way because it won't it will just be destructive to a relationship that you have and it will deteriorate who you are so freedom, I have freedom. I have freedom to just decide that I'm going to go do something and go do it. Am I a multimillionaire? No. Have I created hundreds of thousands of dollars in income stream multiple times in my life? Yes. Have I lost everything? Yes. <laughs> I have, you know, I've been there and I will talk about that. So tangibles, financial, freedom, relationships, health. So a couple of times I was diagnosed with something that should have been very, very serious, but I self-healed and I did not take the diagnosis of what they gave me as um, God's word. If you want to, I'm, you know, I'm not religious. But a lot of people out there are, and so you understand what I'm saying. When someone says, oh, you will always have this ailment, I look at that and think, bull crap. 
I was, I was diagnosed with Meniere's disease when I was 22 years old. They basically told me that I was going to be struggling all of my life to be able to drive, to be able to, be, to walk, to be able to do just about anything in life. If you can imagine being dizzy all the time, dizzy to the point where I had, when I was walking up the stairs at work, I had to hold on to the rail to like pull myself up the stairs. Well, there was no way that I was going to accept that as my fate in life. And within six months, I, I had that out of my system and I no longer had Meniere's disease. So I don't buy into these diagnoses. I don't. There's a reason why, you know, being a doctor is called a practice. They do not know everything. I think they try really hard. There's some doctors out there that are amazing and they try really hard to help people heal. And there's a lot of people out there that are out there to take advantage of people. And you don't know who you're going to get. And it's the same thing in dating. You know, there's a lot of people that know how to like look at a dating profile and then tell you everything that you want to hear. You have to be able to work your way through those things and learn to trust yourself. So healing and health. I, I try to walk or hike at least four to five times a week, even when it's cold. I try to exercise my body in some way every day. I don't eat garbage, but I do eat whatever I want to eat. If I feel like eating pizza, I eat pizza. If I want to eat potato chips, I eat potato chips. If I want to eat fruit, I eat fruit. If I want to eat salad, I'll... I eat whatever I want to, but I eat it in small portions. I don't eat anything that's bigger than my stomach. And a lot of people eat huge platefuls of food and drink these huge things of soda and they wonder why they feel like crap and they wonder why they can never lose weight. Well, you know, your stomach is only so big and your body does not need you know, ridiculous amounts of, of food. It needs nutrients. And most people eat because they're trying to hide their feelings. They're stuffing things down. They're, they're self-medicating. And I will talk about that a little bit too. So anyway, I've got great health and I'm in great shape. So I am 59 years old. I will be 60 this year. And I I weigh about 132 and I have my, and I am pretty darn solid for, you know, for not going to the gym. I am not an advocate of like going to the gym and working out. I don't like to be in enclosed spaces. I'd much rather be outdoors, but a lot of people love the gym. If you love doing that, do it. I love to dance. I'll dance at my house or go out dancing. And yes, with the COVID thing, you're not supposed to go out dancing. So I don't do a lot of out dancing, but people will probably, they probably look out their windows when I'm coming down off the mountain or coming back from a run because I'll get a piece of music that comes on my headphones and I'm dancing. I really don't care what anybody thinks when they see me do that because I am filled with joy at that time. So we've got finance, you know, my finances are exact they're they're great i can do what i want when i want to do it and isn't that the whole point 
So health, financial, freedom, great relationship, tangible things. Friends and family. I had to shed my nuclear family, my, the family that I grew up in. In other words, my siblings and my parental units. And I did that very late in life. And it's funny because it was not me that really took a look at that and realized it was going on. It was my genius child. My kid said, mom, your mom has narcissistic personality disorder and a borderline personality disorder. Gotta take a sip of coffee. And when I looked at it, I realized that all of my life, I had spent, the, the vast majority of my life, I had spent trying to take care of my family, trying to take care of my siblings, trying to take care of my mom, and I'm the youngest in the family. And I had worked my butt off. I don't regret it. I learned a tremendous amount and I always had integrity. I kept my word and I, and I took care of my responsibilities. But I took care of a whole lot of responsibilities that were not mine. And part of that was because I was raised in a house with a parent that was a narcissist. And I really was blind to that fact. So I was always, nothing that I could do was ever enough. It was, you know, I just kept trying and trying and trying and trying. And, and nothing was ever enough. And when I stood back and realized that, I, I just said goodbye to them all. I still have nieces and nephews that I have great relationships with and a couple of aunts that I have great relationships with. So I do have some extended family that I'm close with. And my kid, I just love them to, to pieces. And I'm actually good friends with my ex. And I have great friendships now. Prior to letting go of my nuclear family, my relation, my friendships were much the same as the relationship with my family. And and so it was unsatisfying everywhere. I just always felt miserable. And I know there's a lot of you out there that feel that way. And you're like, what's wrong? I, I am loving, I'm taking care of people, I'm doing all these things, but, but I always feel like crap. And that was me for so long. And when I let go of all that, it, it was fascinating how amazing it felt. And I don't pine for it. I don't sit there like when the holidays come and things like that. I spent two holidays, two Christmases completely on my own and it was by choice. I had friends that invited me to go do things and I'm just like, you know, no, I'm, I'm just going to spend this time by myself. Being introspective and learning how to manage these emotional times that society pushes on us, like the holidays, like Valentine's Day, Easter, and and people try to say, oh, well, you, you can't be alone. Well, I'm that weirdo who will actually go and be alone at those times purposefully to experience it in a different way. And it's, it's it can be beautifully eye-opening. 
I'm also one of these people who, if I have to shed 10 pounds, I'm going to do it during the holidays. I will do it when everybody else is going, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to, you know, get through the holidays without gaining 20 pounds. But when you can, like, when a cookie is not calling your name, when, you know, the bag of chips does not have hold over your life, when you, you know, can don't have to have a soda. I haven't, you know, if I want a soda, I'll have one. I might have one a couple of times a year, if that. There's been years I've gone without drinking soda, just like TV. I have not had regular TV in my house I, I can't even remember. I didn't watch TV, regular TV, when I was in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, and now in my 50s. I've only watched it a few times when I've been at somebody else's house. And when I've watched it, it's been like a baseball game. So I don't, I'd rather be involved in life. So why why listen to this podcast? So that's my life. My life is pretty darn amazing. I also have hobbies that I enjoy doing. I don't share very much of my art or my collection of art. I, as a matter of fact, I'm kind of like letting go of a lot of my collection. But I enjoy art. I enjoy music. I have so much music. My kid composes music. Um... Being outdoors, writing, writing, taking photographs, gardening, reading. I mean, I've got a list of things that I enjoy doing. I, and I now I like to cook. Now that I don't have to cook, I love to cook. And I do it once in a while when I feel like cooking. So I do what I want in my life. And how many people can say they've got a great relationship, their finances are just fine, they have the freedom to do whatever they want to, really. They, um, they can enjoy what they want to when they want to. Their work is satisfying to them. They can work when they want to. There's very few people that have the kind of life that I've created. But that's not how it always was. I can remember a time where I had $7.50 to my name and I had no car. And I can remember working so hard and being discriminated against multiple times in my life. And some people may roll their eyes, but I have to tell you, when, when You, when I was, I'll just use me because that's what I'm talking about. Um, I had been given so much responsibility at this one particular company where I was supervising shipping. I was supervising the raw parts stock room and the subassembly stock room. I was doing all of the production planning because the production planner had gone to a different uh, division. I was doing all the material planning because that was the original job that I was hired for. I ended up doing all the buying because the buyer had gone out on maternity leave. I had all, and I was, and I also ended up doing all the tracking of all of the production on the floor. I was a kid. I was 19 years old. 
And I, I couldn't continue doing all of that. I was at work really early every morning and I would work weekends. And I was on salary, which, you know, there's a lot of you that can relate to that, right? You're the one that doesn't get to get the overtime pay because they're telling you that, oh, this is a great position and you get more benefits by being a salaried employee. Well, they took a guy off of the floor and I was training him to do one-tenth of the job responsibilities I had and I was making, believe it or not, this is definitely going to show my age, but I was making $5.37 an hour for all of that work, if you can imagine that. And people bitch these days. And it's like, okay, um, yeah. So $5.37 an hour. And somehow I was managing to live on my own, pay for my car, put money in savings, I don't know how the hell I did it, but I did. Um, so this kid off the floor was making $10 an hour and I was training him. And I went to the head of the division and I said, this is not right. I have all of these responsibilities and I'm training this person. And they basically said too bad. So I could have cried to everyone. I could have, you know, had a fit. There's a million things that I could have done. I could have been destructive to the place, my place of work at the time, but I wasn't. I had a really good credit score. So I went out at lunchtime and bought myself a truck. And since I was the buyer, I had some great relationships with some printers. And so I created my own business and then I walked through, I, I created a cleaning business. And then I walked through and talked to all the managers that I knew at, at the company that were there and had company housing. And I got all of these contracts with all of these managers and then I quit. So I started my first real business when I was 19, but I'd been working since I was 11 years old. I started working at 11 by ironing clothes for $1.50 per piece, which actually these days was not too bad because <laughs> uh, I could blow through ironing pretty darn quickly. But that's the entrepreneurial spirit that is taking situations and turning them around and making them work for you. When I found myself with $7.50 to my name, um, I had actually given my cleaning business, this was a few years later, to my, my sister and I had moved and taken a, a job and after about six months at this job, by Hollywood, it became very clear that the owner of this company had a drug problem. And not very long after that, the business went under. So I found myself, well, and I also had a girlfriend's 
um, fiance staying with me because he was doing camera work for the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And he was from England and I let him borrow my car. So it was like this perfect storm happened all at once. The company went out of business. Jeremy wrecked my car, totaled my car. And I found my, and then he ran away to England because he was embarrassed, right? So I had no roommate to help uh, share the bills. I had no income and I had no car. Everything happened at one time. And I had $7.50 to my name and I will never forget that. That was what I had in my bank account. And it was really interesting because I had walked by this place that had a limited edition MGB, which was at that time my dream car. And I wanted it so bad. And and who in their right mind with no job and no car and no prospects would be thinking, oh, my dream car, that's what I want, right? That's the last thing on your mind. Well, I wanted that car. So I got that car. And how did I get that car? Because I had such great reputation of being a person of integrity that a couple of people went to bat for me and I got the I got a loan, a personal loan from a friend of a friend. And I had that person paid back within two months for that car. But that car was mine. And that's the that's the importance of being a person of integrity and keeping your word and working hard. Never discount that. There's all these people that cry in their beer about, oh my gosh, I can't do this, or these people are so mean to me, or I have had the shit thrown at me and and you know what? I have never sat there and gone, oh, poor me. I can never do that. These people are big, mean meanies. I have felt like, oh my God, what a bunch of jerks. I have been angry. I have been disappointed. I have been all those things. But every time I have been, I just look at the situation and think, okay, well, how am I going to turn this around? Right? Because sitting there and wallowing and blaming other people does nothing but take your power away from you. And how did I get here? I did not have some great mentor. And remember, I had, I had parents that were not what I would call supportive parents. So I didn't come from a rich background. I didn't come from parents that supported me and taught me all of these things. I had to teach this stuff to myself. And I started back when I was 17 years old by reading like every self-help book I possibly could, getting them from the library. That was how I started really um, learning. But I was already, it was like I already decided at a young age that I was a person of integrity. So you can decide at any point that you are going to change your life and be a person of integrity. But when I was a kid, okay, well, anyway, I'm, I'm, I, I had jumped ahead. That's, that's in my twenties, right? Um, but when I was a kid, I had some really crappy things happen to me. When I was 12 years old, I had just bought, and this will, this will also date me, although vinyl is the thing nowadays. Um, I had just bought some new vinyl. I had uh, let's see, Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and I think Emerson Lake and Palmer works. 
and I had something else. And so I was going over to a friend's house to listen to records. And it was my girlfriend, Kiki, who was 15. I was 12 at the time. And I was going over to her boyfriend's house. We were all meeting over there and we were going to listen to records. I know that probably sounds really goofy nowadays because this, this world is a lot different, but that's how it was back then. So I got there before Kiki was there and there was a couple people that I did not know. And I was unfortunate in that no one had ever taught me about sex or what to watch out for or predators or any of those kinds of things. So the next thing I knew is I found, I found myself with this 17 year old on top of me. And I, you know, I, I didn't even know what the hell was happening and you guys might roll your eyes, but you know, we didn't have the internet back then. We weren't all sitting there watching porn videos. I had no clue. And, um, and when you're a virgin, you, you know, your first time you, it's really, it can be really terrifying, especially if you do not know, uh, what happens. So, um, I thought I was dying because I was, you know, when, when I got up and shook myself off and went to the bathroom, I was bleeding. And then I just got the hell out of there. And I was so embarrassed and, and shocked that I didn't, you know, I didn't tell anybody. Well, worse, let's make the situation even worse, you know. Um, I ended up pregnant and I, I took a bus. I, I had to go to Planned Parenthood to get a, a test because back then we didn't have the simple tests where you can just, you know, get a pee stick and figure it out. You had to have the rabbit test where they took blood or urine and then they, it took two weeks to find out if you were pregnant. Well, then I was afraid to get the answer because I really knew the answer. And time went by and it was pretty much late. And I had to face the fact that I had to tell my mom, my crazy mom. And so when I was in my room, I left a note on the door and or on the um, refrigerator and I said, I have something I need to talk to you about. And she came in and I just started crying. I kept trying to say it and she just yelled at me, don't tell me you're pregnant. And, and I'm like, yeah. And then all hell ensued. Then she made the decision that I was going to have an, an abortion. And I ended up down at a clinic in Los Angeles walking through a picket line. So imagine being a 12 year old, having, you know, people call you names and everything else and being 12 years old, it's, you know, I didn't know shit from Shinola. I had no clue what was going on. I certainly did not know what giving birth was like. And, and a late uh, abortion is very much like giving birth. So no one told me what to expect. No one told me what was going on. Um, it's, it's really horrendous. And, and I can tell you, anybody that's out there that makes judgments on people having abortions... You know, that's really between that person and their maker or that person and God, that person, the universe, whatever you want to say, because um, you do not know the circumstances that people go through and you do not know what it feels like. People make all sorts of assumptions and they say some really 
shitty things that are just so full of crap. You know, like, oh, you know, all these people just use it to, you know, for birth control. That's because someone has been filling you full of that bullshit. No one wants to use abortion as birth control. So, you know, if you're, if you're spouting those kinds of things, you need to get, you need to really research it and give factual information not something that somebody said because somebody said and this is what they said and this is where it came from and so that therefore it must be true no 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 real actual data because you don't know what it's like to be on the other end you don't know what it's like to be in a dark room at 12 years old in the middle of the night and to have water break and not know what water is and think you're dying you don't know what it's like to be in horrible pain and ask for help and have somebody say everyone's in pain and have them turn and walk out of the room. You do not know what people go through when they are making any kind of decision to assume that a person that has an abortion is making it nonchalantly is an assumption that is in your mind based on something that you have created not something you know if you do not know that person if you do not know what that person is going through you do not know you don't you can't so I can tell you that was pretty horrendous then I got sent to my family in Utah my grandmother in Utah I should say after that because um, you know, my mom kind of disbanded the family, sent my uh, brother and my other sister up north. My two other sisters were older and then sent me to Utah. I don't know why she sent me to Utah because that was like the worst place to send me. Um, but I got another uh, round of, of abuse because unfortunately I had a great uncle who was a pedophile and I am sure to this day now that they knew that, you know, and we're all looking the other way. And I thought that uncle was so cool because he raised horses. And so we went on a buggy ride and I can still remember, and I don't need to remember any more details because I'm not the kind of person that goes, oh, you know, I've got to go back and regress and I've got to remember those kinds of things because why? I remember him putting down a parking the buggy up in the hills, putting down a blanket and padding for me to come sit next to him. So yeah, and then I remember avoiding him like the plague after that. And then I got to experience that one more time. You know, it's not, it's like three times was not enough or twice was not enough, right? So in college, I had a speech professor and I, believe it or not, I was shy in college and I was shy with speech. And he said, I'm doing a workshop at my house. Um, I can really help you overcome this. Well, guess what? It wasn't a workshop. Yeah. So I had been a straight A student. And after that, I started to fail classes and I ended up gaining weight and just dropping out. So those are just a few of the 
you know, the traumatic issues that I have dealt with. And I, you know, I have, I gained weight. I gained quite a bit of weight after that. And, um, and I've got rid of that weight, but I have created businesses and been extremely successful and then lost all of my income due to an earthquake that happened back in 1994. I, I had a, an amazing business and I had 30 people that worked for me and the, the earthquake just decimated it and I had no income and I came back from that in a very short period of time. I did not get FEMA help because I was an independent, you know, I was a business owner and the people that got FEMA help were, you know, you had to have a job. The people that got unemployment had to have a job. It's just like with this COVID thing. Um, you know, I, I didn't have income for several months because I had to figure out how to recreate or work in this environment, but I couldn't get any kind of assistance. I had to have, I had to plan ahead. All my life I've had to plan ahead and I, people cry all the time. Oh, poor me. You know, this is disastrous. And I look at the situation and, and it's like, no, you are, you're making really horrible decisions. I'm fortunate in that all through all of these, you know, traumatic events in my life. And I've only listed a few, believe me, I have had an incredible amount of trauma. Um, I, I never ran to drinking and I never ran to drugs. Um, I gained some weight through, you know, in a period of time when I was really young, when a lot of, when a lot of females gain their weight, which is, uh, their college years because of all the pressure and all of the body idealism. Most, most girls end up well with, uh, eating disorders. It's unfortunate, but true but I overcame my eating disorders. So just this last, in the last five or so years, I had found myself in a situation where um, I, was, I was going to California with my kid and I had, uh, had to change my, my job. So I was changing who I worked for, how I worked, completely how I lived. Okay. I kept my house in, in the mountains here, but I got a really great, beautiful apartment in California, but I had not lived in a, lived in an apartment forever. It was a brand new apartment. It was, I mean, I can't complain. It's a first world, world problem, but living in that apartment was difficult for me. It was on the fifth floor. It was in a new complex, but it was echoey and the barbecue was like right below my room. And so all the smell of barbecue would go up in the air. And at the time I was actually engaged. Um, and the person that I was engaged to just was, there were some things that I could not wrap my mind around, but this person had been like my, my go-to, my confidant had been like my world for, for five months while I was planning this whole thing. And so when I went to California and I had no friends there and I had no, 
no real business contacts and I was, you know, the support system for my kid and everything was new and I was trying to establish, you know, I had no foundation. And my, my person who I expected to have to be my foundation was doing some strange things that I couldn't wrap my mind around. And when, when things are incongruent or illogical, it, it tips me over. And since I expected this person to be my confidant, you know, that my go-to person that, you know, that person, my safe, my safe haven, um, I didn't have any safe haven. And I, I had a difficult time for several years and, and had a rough time recouping the income that I had created before I went to California, even though, even though I had an 855 uh, credit score and did buy my Tesla, even through this horrible time, I still pushed myself through. But I have to say mentally I was struggling and I had to rebuild everything. And remember, I had also let my whole family go. Now, if I can face the world like that, and I had to tell my fiance that he had to, he had to go because it, it, even though it ripped me, my heart out to tell him that the way that he was acting was so eroding my self worth that I could not justify a relationship with someone that I, that I couldn't figure out why this was happening. Um, and I still don't know to this day and I probably will never know, but he kept my, my things hostage for, um, almost two years. I had a few things at his place and, and he just completely ghosted me after I had said, you know, bring my things back. He brought a few of my things back, but he still had a bunch of my things and he said, just let me know. And, and I will give them back to you. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't let them go. He wouldn't answer a call. He would not. It was, it was one of the hardest periods of my life because I, you know, he was the trusted person. And I'm sure that a lot of you have gone through that, but I went through all of that and re still rebuilt my life regained that ground that I had lost and came back even stronger. My credit score dipped for a while. I think it, the lowest it went was like uh, 725 or 685 or something like that. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my God. But that's what happens when you buy something that's very expensive. But, um, you know, my credit score is back to back to 850. Everything in my life is uh, beautiful. But we go through heartache. We go through traumas and some horrendous traumas. But most people play the victim because that is what society teaches us nowadays is to be a victim or they teach us to be a stoic. Where, where you're like, oh, screw it. Uh, I don't care. And that shuts you off from everything that's amazing and beautiful in life. 
being a victim takes away all of your power and you need that power to create the life that you want. So by taking the responsibility, even when somebody is fucked with your mind, and I try not to cuss very much because my, my guy said, you know, um, I know you cuss, but it turns a lot of people off. But sometimes it's just like, it's that, it's that intense. You know, when somebody messes with you that you care about, it affects you. But if you give that power away and you let them have that power, you have nothing to create from. You have to keep moving forward. You have to take the responsibility, even though it may not be yours to take, at least temporarily, until you find your footing. This is how I came through all the traumas in my life. And I have only listed a few, but the few that I've listed have been pretty horrendous. And some people never get through the kinds of traumas that, that I have overcome. Even just one of them. I had a, a friend for a long time who had been abused uh, sexually and, um, will always be extremely heavy. I went through a heavy phase after that last rape by my professor, but I regained my myself. I took myself back. I didn't stay the victim because when you're a victim, you make everybody else take care of your shit because you don't have any power to take care of your shit. You know, you blame everyone else. So that ex-friend of mine will always be have a miserable life. And, but that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is taking care of how I move forward in the world. Your responsibility is how you move forward in the world, how you face your traumas and you can move forward and overcome them. I am finishing up my book that is how I did this in a step-by-step -step fashion so many times in my life. It's very practical and it works. So, you know, I, I, I just call it simply a four by four method because it's using the quarters of the, the year, dividing it up, rotating it and taking, you know, a week to plan and then three weeks to implement. And you just keep doing that over and over again. And it's amazing how it changes your life. And I can't wait to let you guys, you know, let you guys know that I've actually published it because it's taken, that's one of the things that's taken me a while to, to get through while I've been working on all these other things and creating my life the way I want it to be. But for you that are out there struggling, one of the reasons I interview the people that I interview is because all these people are from different walks of life and have different struggles. And I want someone to touch those things within somebody out there. And, and so there's this diverse group of people. I don't want to go out and, and interview celebrities that have been interviewed a million times. You can read those books. You can read the bi biographies. I've read all those kinds of things and I get it. It helps infuse you, but being a regular human being out here, struggling in the world, overcoming in a regular human being fashion is you can do it. 
if I can do this, you can do this. Why am I doing this podcast? Because I think if more people in this world take responsibility for themselves, have integrity, believe in love, no matter what happens in their life or who messes with them. Love is the reason why we're here to create amazing relationships, to get through all of this stuff. We don't work just to make money. We make money because we love people. We love ourselves and we want to have a good life. You know, people get it mixed up. We want freedom because we want to spend time with the people we love. We don't want freedom just so we can play video games. Or maybe you do. But I don't really understand that. (laughs) So I don't know whether I can speak to that. And I don't want to judge it either. Anyway, you guys are awesome. That's why, listen, share this. I think that you can create the best life ever by taking one little step at a time. Talk to you next week. Bye.